0: So it's kind of putting these two pieces together, the fact that farmers are a big customer base for these off-grid solar companies, but the fact that they need to be pre-financed and as a result of pre-financing, the risk that they take on needs to be addressed in some shape or form. And insurance kind of plays the glue to, to, to pull these together.
1: That was Kaushik Ramakrishnan, an expert working to transform and scale smallholder farming through innovative financial solutions. And this is the Power for All podcast a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host, William Brent. In support of this year's UN Food Systems Summit, our conversation with Kaushik is part of a special series we're doing on the critical link between food systems and decentralized renewable energy. Our goal is to shed light on game-changing ideas and insights from Africa and Asia that can help both ensure sustainable energy for all and improve farmers' lives. Welcome, Kaushik.
0: Thank you, Brent. Thanks for having me.
1: A pleasure. Yeah. It's great to have you here. And I know you're doing some really innovative work uh, at your company, Pula Advisors, which uh, I've seen recently published a report looking at the potential role of bundling crop insurance with solar assets provided on credit to both businesses and customers. That might be a bit dense for people to, to, to grasp right away, but hold on and we'll get to that in a second. So that you know that's that's maybe not the most exciting topic for some people but it could actually have a huge impact in embedding renewable energy across the food value chain in Africa and Asia. So I want to dig into that a little bit but before we do that for those of us like me working in the off-grid solar space or the decentralized renewable energy space it might be hard for some to understand the role that insurance can play in bringing together farming and access to energy, so I'm wondering if you can start by explaining in simple terms why this connection is important.
0: Sure, uh, William. So, uh, so maybe let me try and approach that uh, that question from two angles. One from the angle of uh, an off-grid uh, solar company uh, who work in um, you know rural communities, and as you can imagine, working in these communities, one of your biggest uh, customer segments. Are uh, farmers likely smallholder farmers in different parts of Africa and Asia? Um, And the business model for many of these off grid solar companies is to essentially pre finance uh, these solar uh, off grid uh, kits, which uh, you know then farmers get to take home and then pay back uh, in installments, uh, you know, over the next uh, few months and years. Um, But what tends to happen then, of course, is if you as a company are pre financing this uh, equipment for a farmer and waiting for the farmer to pay you back, you get exposed as a company to the risks of the farmers themselves. And smallholder farmers are exposed to a number of risks. They're exposed to a number of risks coming from systemic events like climate change, uh, you know, pests and diseases, and a number of other systemic events that they are exposed to, but don't have directly the ability to, to manage and mitigate And that's kind of where uh, smallholder agriculture insurance comes into play. So if you, as a farmer, have borrowed money to buy an off-grid solar uh, kit, uh, insurance can play a role in helping to stabilize your cash flows as as the seasons go up and down and as your harvests go up and down. It doesn't necessarily have to impact your cash flows, which then makes sure that you have sufficient money at the points when you need to pay your installments to pay the company back which is uh, good both for the farmers because then they are able to show that they their cash flows are less risky and makes them uh, a, a better bet in terms of investments from the Pago Solar Company. And uh, the same thing happens for the Pago Solar Company. They can now access a much larger base of customers as a result of insurance, making them a less risky uh, client to work with. So it's kind of putting these two pieces together. The fact that farmers are a big customer base for these off-grid solar companies but the fact that they need to be pre-financed and as a result of pre-financing the risk that they take on needs to be addressed uh, in some shape or form and insurance kind of plays the glue to to, to pull these together and that's also the work that uh, we did uh, in this project that you just mentioned in your introduction uh, William where we tried this out with one of our partners in Zambia to see uh, to see how that
1: works. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was uh, VitaLife, if I'm not mistaken, in, in Zambia. Um, when you talk about equipment, um, Kaushik, are, can you explain, are we talking about just lights and mobile, mobile phone chargers? Or is there some other more productive use equipment that we're talking about as well?
0: I think there's a range of uh, equipment that does work uh, you know, in, in an off-grid uh, setup. Um, some of them tend to be what they call as you know solar uh, home kits, so it's kind of solar panels on your house, and that gives you access to a certain amount of energy. Some come with batteries, some without. That gives you access to some amount of energy which you can use for for uh, lighting, for of course charging your phone. Um, you know many of these uh, the the regions that we're talking about have very good cell phone network and have you know uh, internet coverage across the country, but there's no real um, electricity grid. Uh, that they can plug in to be able to tap into this communication network. So it, it gives you a source of uh, energy in your house, which you can use for a number of things. Um, we, of course, also see uh, more and more innovation in this space. There are off-grid solar uh, irrigation systems. There are off-grid solar systems that can help power, you know, small uh, processing equipment. So it can really unlock a lot of productivity uh, in the uh, for farmers and in the agriculture sector. Um, in the study that we did with White Light in Zambia, for example, we did see that in Zambia, uh, if you look at rural communities, less than 5% of these rural communities actually have access to the grid. So there's a huge segment of uh, farmers and rural, uh, you know, people living in rural communities that don't have access that can do a lot more with these fairly simple uh, and fairly affordable kits, uh, especially when you use, you know, innovative financing solutions to to unlock their ability to to afford them.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned that you know farmers are a big customer base for these um, these types of pay-as-you-go solar companies. They're also a big uh, source of defaults, right? According to the report that that I mentioned, um, farmers account for about forty percent of payment defaults for pay-as-you-go solar companies. Um, so this gets into the 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 topic of the product, the insurance product that you're actually providing. Um, and I think it's called a yield in, yield index insurance, which basically covers the risk if crop yields fall below uh, what their expected levels ought to be. Um, do default rates, have you seen the default rates decline because of this type of insurance once it's, once it's introduced? And can you also explain a little bit, maybe in more detail what that yield index insurance actually uh, the role it plays?
0: Sure. Um, as I mentioned, right, the the, when you're lending to a farmer, you are exposed to the risks of the farmer, and the biggest risk of the farmer is harvests. Are they getting the level of harvest that they that you projected when you when you did your credit scoring of this farmer? And often, what you see is, um, you know, the default rates go skyrocket. They go high when there's a poor harvest because of rainfall or because of a pest infestation, and then when that's not the case, default rates uh, remain uh, remain more manageable. You know, the, the, the risk of a farmer comes from the farmer's kind of willingness to pay, which is more a behavioral aspect, but also the farmer's ability to pay, which is much more closely linked to their income, which comes from uh, from harvesting uh, their crop. Um, and what we do and what we are trying to provide to farmers to, able to, to kind of de-risk them and, and smoothen out their cash flow is an index-based insurance solution. Which is uh, a, a model of providing insurance where you don't insure individual farmers against individual losses, but you but you insure a group of farmers, and you calculate the loss based on whether a certain index value has been reached or not. There are different forms of index insurance. A common one is weather-linked index insurance, but we at Pula like to take it uh, a step further and and provide what we call as a yield index insurance, and this is linked to the actual yield. That a farmer uh, should should see uh, in their uh, fields, for example, uh, you know, and, and this is quite easy to explain to a farmer as well, right? If you go to a farm and we tell the farmer, "Look, your average yield on this farm is about uh, two tons of rice uh, per hectare. We can ensure you saying if it goes below 1.5 tons, then you get a payout to to cover, uh, you know, to bridge the the uh, the downfall in your um, in your income." Um, and, uh, and 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 the yield index insurance is easy to explain to a farmer but it also works really well because it's closely correlated with their income um, and it works uh, you know it provides a, a broader set of coverage than some other kind of index insurance solutions because if you take weather index uh, as an example weather is one of the factors that influences the yield of a farmer but it's not the only factor there are several other factors that go in what we try to do through the yield index uh, insurance, uh, product is to actually look at the final outcome and measure the yields on the farm and see, hey, is this uh, up to what you were expecting? And if it's not, what can we do to to uh, protect you against uh, uh, volatility in your income? Um, this is, um, uh, you know, this does involve uh, a fair amount of uh, complexity and work to make it to make it actually function effectively, because to understand what the yield is of a farmer. We can, we do, and we can use a lot of technologies like remote sensing and satellite imagery and a lot of digital tools to do it. But at the end of the day, we still need to send enumerators to the field to go and do what we call as crop cut experiments to do kind of sample harvest measurements. And we have uh, enumerators who do thousands of those across Africa. And it's kind of putting all this together that actually makes uh, makes the model work. Uh, but we also see that you know it it works well because. It uh, covers the real losses of the farmer. It works well because it reduces what in insurance terminology is called as basis risk, uh, which, is a, which is a big issue when it comes to index-based uh, insurance products. So um, we find that the index yield-based index solution covers, is kind of the right fit product for a lot of African markets, but is also the right fit product to, to bundle it in with this kind of pay-as-you-go uh, off-grid solutions.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, based on your initial work, do you actually see a reduction in default rates and an increase in uptake from farmers of these types of solar solutions? Or do you not have enough data yet to, to, to be able to say?
0: Well, we definitely have uh, plenty of data to show that um, providing a yield based index insurance solution to farmers increases their ability to access capital and increases their ability to invest in their farms. Uh, and we and, and i'm saying this because a lot of the work that we do is actually linked to credit schemes of some shape or form right the pay as you go model for solar equipment is one form of a credit scheme but we also work with government backed credit schemes we also work with uh, credit schemes that a private sector banks extends to farmers we work with credit schemes that a trader provides to farmers by pre financing costs at the beginning of the season and all of these at the end of the day have you know a common element of extending credit to smallholder farmers and as a result needing to to protect against that risk Uh, and we we do see plenty of example in examples in nigeria in kenya in zambia in you know different parts of uh, africa we have now done this in about uh, 11 different countries across africa we have now insured about four uh, just under four and a half million farmers many of these farmers uh, the insurance has been linked with credit scheme and we see strong evidence for credit unlocking sorry insurance unlocking the access to credit. Um, we do see in some of our studies in some countries we've seen that uh, the insurance component has helped a farmer invest you know between 15 to 20 percent more in their farms realize 50 to 60 percent higher output from their farms and over the long term increase their household savings by you know 100 to 150 percent over what uh, we had seen before they got into this whole program. Um, and this, of course, significantly impact, improves their ability to access innovative energy uh, solutions like these pay-as-you-go uh, models. So, in that sense, it does. We see a lot of evidence to see that it's uh, increasing the uh, ability to access capital.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. You said that you, you're currently serving about 4.5 million farmers, and this is that. But that's a variety of different insurance products, correct? It's not just uh, one type of insurance product.
0: It does include uh, several different insurance products, but uh, the most popular product at the moment is the yield-based index uh, insurance for what uh, for what we do as PULA. Um, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but it accounts for uh, a significant majority of our uh, portfolio at the moment for the reasons that I mentioned and- before.
1: Yeah yeah and within that portfolio though I mean have you been able to size the potential market in let's say let's use sub-Saharan Africa as the 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 sample market have you been able to size what the potential is for these energy related yield index insurance tools or do you have any sense of of what the potential market for pula and other insurance providers is and what the impact that could have if if farmers were able to uh, access it um not only, um, you know, the capital, but also capital at at an affordable cost. Do you have any idea of of what that looks like? Sure. Um, So before I go into
0: the market, you know, in terms of just the impact, you know, with these four and a half million farmers that we have insured, um, there are two kind of metrics that you'd want to look at, right? From a business perspective, we want to look at how much insurance premiums have we generated, which is what gets paid towards the insurance coverage. But as a result of paying these premiums, we also look at how much risk has been taken away from from the market, how much risk has been taken away from the hands of farmers and placed in the hands of insurance companies and reinsurers who have better ability to manage this risk. Uh, And so far, we have uh, de-risked the agriculture sector to the tune of uh, uh, a little bit over $600 million through our insurance solutions. Um, now, when we look at it from a market sizing perspective, uh, you know, we we actually went through an exercise of trying to trying to project out and create uh, a multi-year strategy for Pula itself, and we see the market uh, broken into you know three uh, segments, uh, if you speak, or kind of three uh, stages, so to speak. Uh, we think the first one, as we call it, the line of sight market, is the market that fits very well with. Uh, the, the product that we have to offer and the and the pathways through which we offer it right now and we work primarily at the moment with uh, with governments and with agriculture support agriculture uh, uh, input and agriculture credit programs extended by governments we work with several development agencies and their own agriculture support programs uh, we work with uh, you know social enterprises in their agriculture credit lending and credit support programs and if we put all this together, we see uh, a market size of uh, somewhere in the range of uh, 200 million dollars that is immediately addressable uh, by Pula and some of our peers. Uh, but this is kind of just the tip of the iceberg. If we if we're able to capture this market well, then we have uh, the next segment that we call as you know kind of round around the corner. So the line of sight is what we see immediately in front of us. The round the corner is we just need to take a few steps forward, but we'll need to take a couple of turns to capture it. Uh, and this is kind of the much broader market of tapping into the whole supply chain um, which uh, will be uh, a strong play for public and private partnerships and we think there are different channels to access that and we see an addressable market of between one and a half and two billion dollars there uh, and the third uh, market is kind of uh, the the huge untapped opportunity that exists around the world if we talk about 500 million smallholder farmers uh, and we look at even twenty uh, percent uh, of them being an addressable market for you know all of the companies, uh, all the insurance companies that work in the space. That's a huge market uh, that's waiting to be captured. But before we get to this third market, we also need to figure out uh, the right business models to be able to directly serve uh, farmers. right we We are experimenting with different models. We're experimenting with different ways. To, to convince farmers of the value of uh, insurance. We're experimenting with different ways to to uh, make, uh, make it affordable to them, not just in terms of how much they need to pay, but when they need to pay for different pieces of it. So once we get that piece figured out, then that's really the huge 100 million uh, farmer market that we think of uh, that can be captured in a few years from now. And all of these kind of the line of sight market, the around the corner market and the Kind of so far untapped market are all something we're exploring in parallel, but I think there are a few steps that we'll have to take uh, to to manage this progression. Now.
1: Yeah, that's really. Uh, I mean, that's that's a huge potential. Um, and just so I can get my own head around it a little bit more, uh, let's say I'm a, a smallholder farmer. I've got you know a hectare of land that I, I farm. Um, what would I be spending for uh, this type of insurance product for you know to sort of uh, off offset the risk of a uh, solar, solar, you know, off-grid solar system?
0: Um, it, it really depends on, on, on a number of factors. Um, you know, we look at what is the risk that you take on that needs to be de-risked. We look at what crops you're growing. We look at the exposure of those crops to different kinds of risks. Um, uh, I would say um, for a farmer uh, looking to ensure their crops, it can vary anywhere from you know, uh, in the range of five to ten dollars a season, up to thirty, forty dollars a season, uh, and it depends on, I guess, the nature of the crop and uh, uh, kind of what uh, you know what risks this particular crop is exposed to. It also depends on you know how much investment you make into the into your farm. You know, the it's like any insurance policy. If I need to insure my my Toyota versus if I need to insure my my um, Rolls Royce, there's going to be a difference in the insurance premiums. And if you are a farmer growing the Rolls Royce of tomatoes, then you're making bigger investments that needs a, a, a certain type of in, a certain type of insurance cover, versus a farmer who's trying to grow maize that needs smaller investments and needs a different type of cover. So we take take a lot of these into account. We have what is called as the Pula insurance engine, which is uh, really crunching numbers all the time to figure out what the risk is, and that's how we we come to our uh, product pricing at the end of the day.
1: Got it. The Rolls Royce of tomatoes. That's got to be a, a big tomato. I'd love to. I'd love to see that. Um, so I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm curious about. Uh, so right now, you're really addressing smallholder farmers. But is is it going to be possible to provide similar insurance products to larger agriculture oper- operations? Do you do that already? You know, cooperatives, bigger enterprises. Is that something that you you plan to explore or you're already exploring?
0: Um, so firstly there is the, it's possible and there's definitely a big market for it uh, and there are several organizations that do work in that space um do we actually work in that space and the answer is a bit of yes and no uh, in the sense that we are very much focused on smallholder farmers for the moment and that is our vision and that's kind of we're a mission driven business we are, a business. Um, we are uh, and our mission is to kind of unlock the potential of smallholder farming by kind of de-risking them and enabling access to capital. So we are going to be focused on smallholder farmers and smallholder households. Uh, But having said that, you know, as I uh, might have explained earlier, our model is at the moment still a B2B model or a B2G, a B2Government model, where we work through uh, an organization that is able to aggregate a larger number of farmers. This can be a government scheme, it can be a bank, it can be a trader or a cooperative that works with a large number of farmers. Uh, and what we do through our insurance solution is both de-risk the farmer, individual farmers themselves, but also de-risk the the uh, aggregating entity because they are exposed to the risk as the farmer. So in that sense, we're already doing some of it, but we do still see ourselves being focused on smallholder-driven value chains uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. In terms of intermediaries, I mean, could you also work through, let's say, a mini grid operator to do that? Uh,
0: We certainly could. Uh, I'll have to think of what the what the angle is when it comes to uh, mini grids and uh, micro grids Um, and, you know, um, what kind of risks they're exposed to. Something we're also looking at is, you know, what we protect farmers against is or what we protect agriculture value chains against is the exposure to climate change risks which is also the same kind of risks that a lot of renewable energy projects uh, are exposed to, right? I mean, if you invest in a project and you have uh, invest in a solar project and then you you have a lot of cloud cover, then your investment is at risk. Or if you invest in a hydro project and don't get enough uh, rainfall, your investment is at risk, uh, which is not very different if you think about it from some of the risks that the agriculture uh, value chains are exposed to. So we're also thinking about how does the same... Knowledge of pricing risk for agriculture value chains. How does that also transfer to uh, potentially renewable energy projects?
1: Interesting. That's really really interesting, Kashik. Thank you. So, um, if for if, if people want our listeners wanted to um, find more information about this recent uh, report uh, on your pilot in Zambia or other information about these products as it relates to renewable energy, where where would they go to find those?
0: Um, you know, a lot of our work is, pub, you know, we do it with a lot of partners, and it gets published, uh, of course, on the websites of our partners. Uh, you know, if you do follow uh, our uh, our channel on LinkedIn, we, you uh, know, make sure we keep uh, the world updated with the work that we're doing. Uh, and of course, they're always, you know, we're a we're a small company. We're very, uh, you know, very 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 flat organization. There, you know, anybody that wants to know about how insurance works and if they want to engage with us can feel free to reach out to me, feel free to reach out to Rose or Thomas, our co-founders and our co-CEOs, or really reach out to anyone in the organization. Um, But I would say our our LinkedIn channel is a good uh, starting place, which is pretty active uh, in terms of publishing our latest work and in terms of uh, discussions.
1: Great. Well, we'll also include uh, the link to the, the Zambia report, which I think I saw on the Shell Foundation website uh, in when we published the, the podcast as well. But yeah, for those listeners out there, please please check out Pula's LinkedIn profile to get a better uh, sense of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. So Kaushik, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm excited to see where this all goes and how it integrates into the bigger picture. So, So thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much, William. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you.
1: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you receive alerts for future episodes. And while you're at it, subscribe to our monthly newsletter as well. Also, a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerforall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge known as PEAK. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible contribution to Power for All to support our work to end energy poverty faster, you can do so from our homepage. In the meantime, if you have any ideas for a podcast, please email podcast at Bye for now.